Hey, it's good to see everybody here. It's great to see Cole. It's good to have you back, mate. What was that? It's still good to see you, man. I didn't see you last week. I was missing you. I miss you in my shed every Friday too, man. So I want to start today <coughs> with a riddle. Now, if you've heard this riddle before, I just want you to sit on it, okay? Don't yell it out. Oh, I know where that is. I don't want you to do that, okay? Um, just think about it. Try and work out what it is, what the meaning of it is. If you, if you know it, then that's cool. If you heard it before, then just sit on it, as I said, and we'll talk about it later. <clears throat> so, riddle. This thing all things devours, birds, beasts, trees, and flowers. It gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal. Slays kings, ruins towns, and beats high mountains down. Now, you all know what I'm talking about today, don't you? So, what's the answer to that? Exactly. Does anyone know where it's from? Oh, so close. Where is it from, Daniel? Yes, exactly. That's right, that's right. It's from The Hobbit, and the answer is time. It's that riddle that Gollum asks Bilbo. <coughs> Excuse me. I've still got that cough from last week. The one that Gollum asked Bilbo, and he almost had him, and Bilbo cannot, cannot get it, and then out of desperation he yells, time, time, because he needs more of it, but of course that was the answer, and it got him off. So time, this, it's an interesting phenomena, time, um, even the subject of it, we, we spend it, we waste it, we run out of it, and we make up for it. We never ever seem to have enough of it, and yet sometimes we kill it. And then for one of us, one day, for us, it's going to be up. Our lives and the material universe that we're in, okay, are so intertwined with it that we don't even realise how much we're constantly interacting with it. We know it's there, but we can't see it or touch it, hear it, smell it, feel it, whatever, all our other senses... No, that's all the senses we've got. None of us are X-Men here. We know time is around us because we see things change. Time is a measurement of the interval of change. There's a, we see change in a clock. Like our, our measuring device is a clock. We see the hands ticking around. There's change in the movement of the hands. There's change in the battery driving that clock. There's a chemical change as the battery depletes. If it's an old clock and it's a wind-up one, there's change in the energy in the spring. There's change in the cogs turning the hands. There's that change. And even on a grander scale, if we were to look um, you know, at our planets, there's change in the Earth's orbit around the sun and our, as our days and our years progress. We see this change, and because of that, we understand that time is happening, time is flowing, time is moving. So I bet none of you, when you got up this morning and you were rushing around the house, <clears throat> some of you might have had a leisurely get-ready activity, but not for us, you're rushing around the house and I bet you never walked into a place where there was no time and sort of, you know, just got stuck in a place where there was no time. That doesn't happen, does it? Because time is all around us. Everything that we see, all the space, all the matter, everything is all being bound up and progressing through time. Now, I'm also willing to bet, actually, that doesn't, doesn't sound too well good, does it? The guy up front teaching, talking about how much he bets. I'm willing to bet you an insignificant amount of nothing that 
when you were boiling your, your kettle or your jug this morning for your tea or coffee, <laughs> she's all over it. She's heard this before. You didn't see the steam come out of the kettle and then all of a sudden stop and then work its way back down into the kettle as the kettle slowed boiling, stopped, stopped boiling and grew cold over a matter of a number of couple of minutes. You didn't see that. And imagine if on a sunny day we walk outside and we saw water seeping up out of the ground, forming puddles, and then as we kept walking, rain started shooting up into the sky, growing these bigger clouds that get bigger and bigger and greyer and greyer, and then they just take off back over the sky. That's weird. We don't, that's, not the way to, that's not the way our world works. We never expect to see that. And so from that we have an understanding that our world and time always operates in one direction, that time has a big one-way stamp on it and it's always pointing in one direction. Now science tells us a little bit of why time always flows in one direction and can't flow backwards. For those of us with a bit of a background in physics or, or might have even heard my Lazarus sermon um, that we, uh, when we were going through John, I gave a bit of a basic science lesson on this when I talked about the second law of thermodynamics. Now, before everyone, this again, rolls their eyes and slumps and goes, oh man, okay, we're on for a, a mental roller coaster ride now. No, I'm just going to be quick. I just want to catch us all up. So we just sort of have a bit of an idea of that. And now respect to my fellow nerds out there that love seeing the underworkings of our universe and love seeing how it works in the light of God's true word. So respect to you and the rest of you can just buckle up, hang on. Very basically, the idea of the second law of thermodynamics is that any closed system will always work its way down into disorder. It will always become more disordered. It will never become more ordered. It will never rise to a higher state of order. Now, even for our, the largest closed system that we have, our created universe, the universe is becoming more and more disordered over time and can never become more and more ordered. Do you see the words that I threw in there? The universe is becoming more and more disordered over time and can never become more ordered. So here's the key. As time progresses, the universe is becoming more and more disordered. Now, for time to be able to go backwards... It needs to be able to go back to a previous state. The universe needs to go back to its previous state. But that would require the universe to get more ordered, which is impossible due to the second law of thermodynamics. So from a scientific perspective, we understand that we are trapped in a universe that's winding down. And because of that, we're forever condemned to be dragged along in the current of time. How's that for an uplifting predicament? We all good if I just, you know, go home, praise Jesus, thanks guys, and we go home with that, with that news? No, of course not. Of course we're not happy with that. Because we have so much more to hope in than what just science tells us. We have a hope in the God who created it. We have hope in the God who created and exists outside of it all, and he has made contact with us through creation, through his prophets, through his son and through his word that we're holding in our hot little hands now, or cold little hands. <clears throat> so let's take some time, to, and we'll just read our passage for today. 
Um, it's a psalm attributed to Moses. And that's not something you hear every day, is it? That's pretty cool. Moses, oh, sorry, Moses 90. Psalm 90. <laughs> it's not in the book of Moses, everybody. Although that would be a good prank to call. Psalm 90. And we'll read the whole chapter because it is God's word. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favour of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, this last week, I I asked some people, I I put on Facebook, and not all of us are on there, so I apologise for that. I didn't send an email about it. But I sort of mentioned that through this week, if we could read the first three chapters of Genesis and the first, sorry, and the last three chapters of Revelation, just to get us thinking about the expanse of time. So did, how did anyone go with that? Did anyone see my message? Did people read it? Thanks, Rick. Awesome. Okay, thanks, Rick. Um, <coughs> so this is just for you, Rick. The rest of the sermon, just for you, mate. So it got us thinking about, well, for Rick anyway, thinking about the whole time. Now, between these events, the first three chapters of Genesis, the last three chapters of Revelation, there's an expanse of time entire history of mankind on this earth as we know it, okay? Everything between those bookends is God's account of his outworking, of his plan in our mess to bring us back to himself. Now, the bookends themselves have a few common objects and themes. Rick would have picked these up. (laughs) The tree of life makes an appearance in both. There's a river watering the garden, in Genesis, and then there's the river of life with the massive tree of life spanning it on either side. 
in, in the new heavens and the new earth. And that will be pretty cool to see, a big tree right over a massive river. Satan's reign begins with um, deception and ruin. And then in the end, we see Satan um, punished, thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever, and after his last-ditch attempt at rebelling against God. Now, the main event, though, <coughs> excuse me, in direct contrast to Satan's rise and fall is the relationship between God and man. In Genesis 3, we see God hiding his face from man, pushing man out of the garden, and this massive chasm opens up between God and man. Impassable chasm. And then in Revelation 21, we hear a voice from a throne with really good news. And it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. God is reunited with his people in the end. Amen. 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 Now, we understand that all these events sit in time, but where was the beginning of time? Let's start in the beginning. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, the very beginning. Now, there are many scientific theories about what time is and why it exists. But, and, but they all, the bare bones of all of them, they all come down, they all boil down to a few essentials, and that is that there must be space and there must be matter for time to exist. So if we were to think about what was before the first verse in our Bible, God was existing, if we can use the word existing, because that infers a length of time, God was in perfect, unchanging unity, satisfaction and love with each other. That was what was before this. So, because of that, God existing in perfect unity, love with each other, there was no matter, there was no space, there was only an unchanging God, so therefore there was no time, no time existed. There was nothing to have time counting whatever, flowing. And then God spoke space and matter into being and then he created it and time started flowing. And so that was the start of time. And then in verse 3, God creates the first clock. I saw all of you go scurrying like, what? What is this guy teaching us? In the beginning, God created a clock. Yeah, well, whatever, man. And verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. The clock is light. The wavelength of light has always been used by astrophysicists as a cosmic clock. I won't go any further into that because I'm probably fast using up my science allocation for this sermon, but you can go and research that yourself um, for all of my fellow nerds out there. <clears throat> so obviously... This leaves God unaffected by time as he, one, created it, two, is immaterial, 
and three, transcends it. This is how Moses in, in, in the Psalm 90 that, we sit, that we've just read in verse 4 can say, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Now, for God to be transcendent above time, that makes sense. Okay? But for us, who are creatures of matter that we are, it's a different story. We are very familiar with the three spatial dimensions around us. Okay? We, we can go up, down, left, right, in, out with relative freedom. Wherever we want, we can go back there, we can stay there, we can do whatever we want with our three dimensions. But there is a fourth dimension that we don't have freedom in. Okay? And this, then this fourth dimension is more like a prison okay, than, than anything else. It takes captive in the present, takes everything captive in the present and condemns all matter to constantly be transitioning from its past into its future, constantly moving along from its past into its future, past into its future, constantly. It's a prison. So hypothetically, uh, no, we'll rewind, we'll, I'll add in a little bit more extra in from that. So this dimension of time that takes everything from the past to the present, there are other dimensions, but they're in, they're, they have little consequence in our life. How does God then view this dimension? How does God view time? Well, I don't know, because I'm just a creature in the box. I'm just a rat in the lab trying to think of the world outside the laboratory. But I'm just trying to think outside of my frame of existence, and I have a little bit of idea that I want to share with you, um, I alluded to this last week, how God can claim to be I am who I am in the past, the present and the future and still be correct. Now, firstly, this can be a little bit mind-bending to think of dimensions that we aren't familiar in, okay? So I just want you to buckle up and hang on and try not to scream too loud, all right? Can we all do that? So hypothetically thinking, I've got to get my action arms on. <laughs> hypothetically speaking, if we were to rise to a higher dimension... We zoom out, we're looking down, we were to zoom out of time and we were to look back, then we would see time just like any one of our three spatial dimensions, like anything that we see here. It would be a dimension that's always available for us to be moving in, out of, forward, backwards, in, up, down, in, whatever, with complete freedom. However, there would be some really weird things in that, from that view. All those moments of time, okay, that have ever been, are, or will be, would be always there. Okay, so every moment of time that has ever been, is, or will be, is always there. Your birth would be there always happening, as would your second birthday, always happening. You would be always on your first day of school. You would be always sitting here in church last week. You would be always sitting here in church today. You would be always having every birthday you've ever had or ever will have. Every moment of your life is always there happening. Even your death is there always happening. I told you it was going to get a little bit crazy. I told you. 
Now these moments, let's, okay, because that was a little bit crazy, let's, let's bring it down now, let's come back into deep breaths, bring it down, back down into reality. These moments of time that we go through down here, that we go through and are done with, like that last sentence I just said, that we go through and we are done with, they just become places that a being that is transcendent of time can go to, can revisit over and over or even stay in. So, for an omnipresent God who is outside of time, he can actually be at every moment of our lives, past, present and future, right now. Now, I know it's, it, that's a bit of a heavy thing to try and grip, to try and get our minds around, but, to, to try and, but it helps me understand the I am aspect of our God that we serve. It helps me understand it a little bit. Um, if, if, if it's just boggling your mind and it's no good for you, then just put it on the back shelf, flick a match in it later. It's okay, you can do with it what you want but it helps me and it might help you. Now, there are many people who get so famous that they don't need last names, uh, like Bono, Pelé, Beyonce, Ronaldo. But only our mighty God can claim to be I am and be that with certainty in every moment of his created time. Now... <clears throat> As we are captives of time, strapped in to the ever-moving conveyor belt of time, we can't slow it down, we can't speed it up, we can't put it in reverse. How much do we value the time that we have left? How much do we value the time that we have? From birth, we, we jump on the conveyor belt and we are condemned to ride it forever. Oh, there's the end. We don't know where the end is, but... It's coming. Can't stop it. Can't slow it. How much do we value that time between here and there? What gives something value? Camille and I were trying to nut this out the other night. We came up with a whole heap of crazy things. But the main thing we worked out, was this main conclusion we came to, was that something becomes more valuable the rarer it is. So a $5 note, okay? It has some value, but it's really common. They're everywhere. A briefcase with a million bucks in it, though, those things don't pop up too often. And if they do, you probably shouldn't touch it because it's probably drug money or blood money or something. <laughs> you don't want the mob after you. The same, this same idea of, of rarity equating to value is why diamonds and gold are so precious to us in the world's economy is because they're rarely found in the Earth's crust. Now, if every second of time as it passes is lost forever, and you only have a finite amount of time left in your life, if you have a finite amount of these seconds left in your life, then how much value do they have? Is the economy of rarity also true in that um, when we are young, we perceive to have a whole life ahead of us. We don't really value our time. However, as we get older and we develop an awareness 
of the lesser time that's left on our life clock, the seconds start getting more value and they start gaining more value. And what did we read in our passage in Psalm 90, verse 12? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And down to verse 15, sorry. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. We need to view all the seconds and the days and the years of our life as a precious commodity. Life has, God has gifted us with a set number of days in our lives to be used for him. These, like any other of our material possessions or talents, must be handled with good stewardship to honour him. So, assuming we have a lifespan given to us of verse 10, 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, or even by reason of modern medicine, maybe 90 these days, then what does that look like in, in God's created time? James tells us that our life is a mist. <coughs> a mist. Who, sprayed their, who sprays deodorant these days? How long does that... Oh, it's gone. Gone. And you thought you had plenty of time left in your life to get everything out of it that you want to and still have a little bit of something-something left over for God. Oh, how good of you, how, how good of us, how righteous of us to save some of our mist of a life to give to God. He's like, man, thank you for that piece of mist. He gave you all of your life. You owe him everything. All of that mist. You owe it to him. Object lesson time now to try and put this into perspective. <clears throat> this is a, um, this is, I'm, I'm not big on props. Sorry, microphone. I'm not big on props, as you probably know, but this one has stuck with me since I was a kid and I saw it done in Sunday school. And so I just needed to bust it out for everybody. Now, if you're listening, I realise you don't see me, but I hope that I can... Explain it well enough that you'll, um, you'll sort of get the picture. So I have this big piece of rope. It stretches out and out and out for ages. It actually goes a couple of k's down the road. Um, it is attached to a rocket. The rocket is blasting off into space. The rocket is taking it, I don't know, through the solar system, out through the Milky Way galaxy, out through the deep parts of nothing, um, through distant galaxies, on and on and on to the edge of space. Rocket is travelling at almost the speed of light and it's been doing it for two days. So it's going a long way, but it's still going, okay? This end of rope, it just doesn't end. Now, imagine this rope is time. Here is the start of it. Here's Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, blah, blah, blah. Here's Jesus in here somewhere. 
And the rest of this is the eons of time yet to come in the new heavens, the new earth, the rest of this world as we know it, yet to come. And this little black bar here is your life. Now, it's not to scale. If it was to scale, this little bar would be infinitely small, but I can't point on infinitely small, so I had to make it a centimetre and a half wide. So, let's consider some of the important things in life. Schooling, okay. How long did those years take, yeah? Okay, they go from about here to about there. Okay, those years were so long. It took forever. Relationships. Oh, man, that girl took forever to start liking me. Really, dude? Really? Yeah. University. Where's my pin? Most expensive four-year blip ever. Okay, right in there. Career. Okay, this one. Starts just about here and goes till about there. I'm so glad I spent all those years in that job, working for that company. I loved, I loved my boss so much. I saved up so much. I climbed the company ladder so high. Check out my massive house, my really sweet caravan I'm going trekking in. Check it out. Retirement. We're going trekking in my caravan. Whoop, off the edge. Hey, what's this white stuff? You see the problem with our way of thinking? Our thinking is so narrowed down, so small, as to only look at our lives in these few misty years that we have physical bodies here on earth. We focus so much down here. We miss the fact that we are immortal beings inside a material house. We, we live this whole life focusing on this insignificant, minuscule band and we completely miss all this. Completely miss all that. Still going down the road, off into space. We miss all that. How we live in this little band affects how we, how we spend this. How we are rewarded in all this. Diligently using our time that God has given us in this little band to invest in good work for him will see us eternally rewarded in this. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure everyone has heard that really well-known saying by Jim Elliott. Uh, I'm pretty sure he pilfered it from somebody else who lucked out on copyright, but um, the saying effectively goes, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So how true is that when we look at this? We are prisoners of time, condemned to ride the conveyor belt of time, never slowing, never stopping. We can't keep or store up our time. We can't bottle it in little jars and weasel it away under our mattress. If you don't use it as it comes to you, it's gone forever, wasted. Let's consider 1 Corinthians, I think it is. 
Yeah, 1 Corinthians. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, this foundation is Jesus Christ, with gold, precious, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, day of reckoning, judgment day, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So if you're going to waste your time given you on selfish, pithy things such as oversleeping, TV, hobbies, crafts, gaming, couch sitting, then you're scratching a turkey's nest of hay around you. And even seemingly beneficial pursuits like study and heavy exercise and career building, does that even impede on your service to Christ? Just just be really careful with them. Beware of all that gathering straw and kindling around you getting ready to be burnt up. Don't be overly worried about the, oh, I need me time again. Don't be worriedly overtired, like about getting a little bit tired, you know, or wearing your body out, serving your Savior. You're going to get a new body one day anyway, dude. What have you got to lose? Okay, you're already losing, constantly losing time. Use your body given you for serving your king. Throw it all in, cash it all in, throw everything in, put it all in on Jesus. This little misty blip of a life that you've got, use it, use it all up, use it up. Put your hand up to serve more in the church. Trade your body and your wealth and your time. Trade it all in for storing up real, imperishable, eternal wealth while helping to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So your time is quickly passing. Use it up. Thanks. Thanks.